we are talking about uh, being single. Last week, we uh, began the journey, and we're going to continue on that train today. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to read starting in verse 32. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, the back half of the Bible. Get through all those uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John books. Keep going. If you see a book called Romans, keep going to your right, and uh, you will come to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 7, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. Now, uh, I don't know if you can write in your Bible, if, uh, if your past gives you permission to do that, but I want to give you permission to do that this morning, and if you feel so led, underline the words, how he can please the Lord. Okay? Let's keep reading. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Don't worry, women, we're going to get to that when we talk about marriage in a couple of weeks. So please text me and email me ways that you would like for your man to please you. <laughs> then we will auction off the best one and I'll preach on it, all right? And his interests are divided. An unmarried man or a virgin is, con or an unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. It's only fair. Men feel free to text as well. Okay. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way an undivided devotion to the Lord. So what we're going to talk about today and tackle, I'll tell you in just a second, the myth that we're going to tackle, but we're going to tackle it from this perspective. And it's this question. Do you please the Lord? Do you please him? You know, last week we tackled the myth that singleness is something to fix. And we talked about the battle between want, want being my, my effort to seek to get power to get what I want or get the power to make what I want come to pass versus desire, which is seeking power to have us. And desires being our deepest desires, things like love and goodness and beauty. And we talked last week about how God meets us in our deepest desires when he declares that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Meaning if you're single here this morning, you can rest assured the reason that you're single here this morning is because God's being good to you. See, and that's kind of hard to step into, especially if in the situation that you're in, and maybe it's not just for singles because you may be married here this morning, wishing to God that you could be single again and not liking your situation. Or maybe you're in a work situation or whatever your situation that you despise. And I'm saying to you this morning, the reason you're in that situation is because God has been good to you. That's kind of hard to swallow when you don't like the situation that you're in. But here's what happens when I stop believing that God has been good to me. When I stop believing that God is committed by his holiness and by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to be good to me, he is bound by that to be good to me and to work goodness in my life. 
When I stop believing that, then what do I do with my desires? My deepest desires for love and for goodness. And I would tack onto that even beauty. What do I do with those? Well, if God no longer meets me in there because I can't believe that he's good, then I start to attach my desires to other things other than God. And when I begin to attach my desires to other things other than God, then believe it or not, those things actually become what some in Scripture would say idols, and I would make it a more modern-day terminology, they become our addictions. See, addictions are that state of compulsion or obsession or preoccupation that enslaves a person's will and desire. That I attach myself to things that can never satisfy what I desire for them to do, but the more I want them thinking, the more that I get them, the more chances I have of my desires being met, and they become my addictions. So here's the myth that I want to tackle today in light of what we talked about last week. That singleness, that if you're single here this morning, that love and life has passed you by or is passing you by. You know, it's funny because uh, we live in a culture And I just want to stay up front that some of you, uh, you're called to a life of singleness. And that is beautiful. And you feel that that's the life that God's called you to. We celebrate that. But for those of you in this room that have not felt that God has called you to a life of singleness, singleness can be hard. Because you're waiting on that special person. That significant relationship. (laughs) You know, it's funny when that special person isn't around, it's easy for us to start feeling vague feelings. Like when that special person isn't here, I may feel that I'm not fulfilled or that my life is missing something or that I'm missing out. Or, hey, go with me here. We can even go to a deeper place that when that special person isn't here, I can even start to feel unlovable that maybe I don't have the right stuff to be loved, or incomplete. I was writing this the other night. I couldn't help but remember that beautiful moment in Jerry Maguire where he comes into the living room surrounded by the enemy and uh, looks at her, and what is it that he says? You complete me. And she looks at him and says... No, I don't, because Jesus Christ completes me. That was beautiful. No, you had me at hello. You know what's so funny is we were with, I was with a bunch of friends the other day, and we were talking about old movies that it, when we watch them now, they're just so cheesy. Like when Top Gun came out, you know, and Tom Cruise was just so amazing, and, you know, and just that whole bravado thing, or... You know that scene, what movie is this from? Nobody puts baby in a corner. What a cheesy movie. Come on. You know, why is it that we fall for such cheesy movie? Uh, sorry, hey. <laughs> Feel free to throw the pins, all right? I think God made us suckers for romance. I really do. I think that we're easy prey for stuff like that. And we'll talk about that another time. But you know, when I begin to believe, and when I begin to drink in uh, 
the romance. And when I begin to believe that it's only uh, the truth of Jerry Maguire, you know, that someone else completes me, that I'm only half a person until another person comes and makes me whole, that I'm not fulfilled and that I'm unlovable until that special person comes and convinces me that I'm not unlovable. I'm going to find that one person who can scale the walls of all my self-hate and convince me that I'm somebody that I don't even believe that I am. Okay, that's a whole other sermon too. When I'm waiting for that person, where do my attachments go? If I don't believe the gospel that we talked about last week, I can easily become addicted to independence. I'm tired of waiting for that special person. I'm tired, I'm tired of waiting for that person to walk into my life. And you know what? I don't need anybody. And it's easy for us to attach ourselves to the addiction of independence that I am going to declare and make a life that counts on nobody. I will get what I want. I will meet my desires, whether it's through friendships or whatever. I'm going I'm to take charge of this ship. And it's easy in that process of becoming addicted to become bitter, to become resentful, and even become judgmental of other people that actually get in relationships. I don't even want to hear about it. Oh, did you hear so-and-so? They're dating now. Great. Perfect. They're going to get married and just get divorced. You watch. None of us know anybody like that, do we? Well, the other extreme of that is when it may not be that when I attach myself to the, to the addiction of a special person, it may not be, forget it, he or she is never going to show up, and when they do, they're not going to be special, and they're not going to be perfect. You know, the other end of the extreme is not just independence, but dependence, that I begin to start living like life isn't worth living until that special person shows up. And I'm so dependent on that person showing up in my life and making my life what it should be because I'm incomplete, I need somebody to make me whole, then all of life is just a disappointment because it's just a waiting game for that special person to show up. The clock is ticking. And we're just enduring the present and waiting for the fantasy of the future to become a reality. I mean, people in this place who have made an addiction of being so dependent upon that other person coming and making my life whole, they could win the lotto and it would be a yawner. What's $30 million unless you have somebody to share it with? (laughs) Right? Or you could find the cure for cancer. Oh, well, it only matters if I could cure that special person. Okay, singles, you're our guinea pigs. But I want the rest of you to apply this in your own life. Gerald May, in his book, Addictions and Grace, he said, the object of our addictions become our false gods. These are what we worship, what we attend to, where we give our time and energy. Instead of love, addiction then displaces and supplants God's love as the source and object of our deepest true desire. See, our idols rob us of our deepest desires of love and goodness, and they cheapen them to simple wants. They kill our heart. Or as St. Augustine says, it causes us to cave in on ourselves. So let's tackle this one. Love has passed you by. You know, we read in the passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
uh, to please the Lord. And let me ask you this question, do you please the Lord? Because we're going to tackle the myth through that question. Do you please the Lord? Well, let me ask you this simple question. Is God happy? Yeah, think about that for a minute. Is God happy? Because you know, is that a strange thought for you to think of God as being a happy God? It's easier sometimes for me to think of God as he's disappointed. You know, he sees me and he goes, yeah, could have been. Wow. What a sad disappointment. Or, you know, the scriptures talk about don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Look how many people are in this room. How many times have you sinned this week? I mean, our God is a serious grieving God. I mean, people all over the planet, he must be grieving all the time. Is that what that passage means? Another sermon. Maybe God's ticked off. That he's not disappointed anymore, and he's tired of grieving, and now he's just mad. You know, I love how we try to make God one of us. I'm going to fight the temptation to sing that song. Thank you. If God is not happy, what would make him happy? Well, let me declare to you today, God is not only happy, he is complete perfection in his happiness. God is so perfectly pleased that there is no more pleasure that he can add to his being pleased that would make him more pleased than he already is. Our God is completely content. In Isaiah 46.10, this is where you use the pen. You write this verse down and you go back and read another time or you find it in the house Bible and you underline it and then you dog page the, uh, dog ear the page. You can do that to your Bible here. I make known the end from the beginning. This is God speaking. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, and this is God, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And what is he saying about that? God is saying that there is no limit to his power. Matter of fact, if there is anything that stands in the way of him and what he pleases, then he must not be God. And God is saying there is nothing that stands in the way of me and what I please. Matter of fact, I'm so perfectly pleased that when I actually act, I act out of my pleasure. And there's nothing that can stand in that way. You know, it's kind of hard for us to grasp that God is limitless in his capabilities and his power. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was with a friend uh, a couple of months ago who was rather wealthy. And, uh, and when I say rather wealthy, I mean like seriously wealthy. And I asked him, I said, so what is it like to be like not just wealthy, but like seriously wealthy? I said, just give me a taste of that. Like, what does that mean? And uh, like he goes to restaurants where they don't have the prices on the menu, which that would freak me out. Like Ruby Tuesdays freaks me out. Like explain to me the pricing system here, you know? What do I get for that? And so I looked at him and I said, just explain. He said, it's really simple. I said, what? He says, you, you don't ask the price for anything. And I said, okay, that's clever. He says, the only thing you ask is, do I want it? Oh, that would be fun just for a day, wouldn't it? Some of you are like that, aren't you? I can't understand limitless, but God is declaring that he is limitless in his capabilities. Listen to Job chapter 42. 
Job declares this truth about God. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Not only can nothing stand in the way of what pleases the Lord, God's plans always come to pass. God is so sovereignly in control that God is a victim of no circumstance. God is not sitting in heaven chewing his fingernails, wondering how this whole thing is going to work out. He's not looking down on this earth and looking to the angels and says, can anybody give me a suggestion? Hurry, hurry, somebody from the back row. What should we do? How do we make this happen? Whatever God desires in his sovereignty comes to pass. And guess what? Everything that God desires comes to pass. Let me take you for an example. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27 through 28, even the wickedness in this world don't stand in the way of God accomplishing his purposes. He's so sovereignly in control in his happiness that he even used wicked things to accomplish his purpose. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 through 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, these were the people, if you remember, that were sitting on the judgment seat that crucified Jesus. Listen to what he said. Even, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Listen to the next words. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. <laughs> did you hear that? That not even Pontius Pilate or Herod could stand in the way of God accomplishing. In fact, he used them. If we had time, we could go back into the Old Testament and see how God hardened the heart of Pharaoh to accomplish his purposes and to show his glory. I mean, we could just take it through. God is sovereign. It's all throughout Scripture. You know the passage that says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father? Can you grasp the reality of that truth? That nothing happens outside of God's will, and God's will always flows from him being content and happy perfectly, pleased in all things? He even says that the hairs on your head are numbered. Yeah. Really? God's will is driven by his pleasure. Listen to what it says in Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. So love has passed you by. What does this have to do with that God is eternally happy, that he's sovereign, that he's in control of all things, that nothing can keep God from accomplishing his purposes? And what does this do to our question, do you please the Lord? Well, the first thing I want you to know is that we have to realize that the Lord expresses his pleasure in us knowing that we are the pleasure of the Lord. If you're in Christ this morning, if you are a believer today, if you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then you are the pleasure of the Lord. Now, let me stop right there, because some of you in this room may not understand what I just said when I say that if you're in Christ this morning. So, if you understand what I mean by that, if, if you understand, if you're a believer here today, if that's not a foreign thing to you, and you say, I understand that, that's a reality for me, would you raise your hand? Okay, group participation. Now look around. Now keep your hands up. Go ahead. All right. 
Anybody in this room that's confused about what that means, you see all these people with their hands up, catch any of them after the service and ask them what that means. Okay, we don't have time for that in the service today. All right? So now all of you that raised your hand go, oh, good Lord. What if somebody comes up to me and goes, what does that mean, you know, that you're in Christ? Oh, Roman road. What was that? Roman road, Roman road, Roman road. Four spiritual laws. Oh, I can only remember one. What were they? What do I do? All right, let that go. Come on. You can deal with it, all right? Ephesians chapter 1. I told you we're going to use a lot of passage today. This starts in, in verse 4 and a half. It says, in love. Now, what, it's describing what God did and what he's about to do and what he's doing. And he's saying that in love he did this. So I want you to hear this, this concept, God's in love. Have you ever been in love? And have you ever been in love and it caused you to do stupid stuff like go see Dirty Dancing? All right? Now, I write letters that you read later and you go, oh, what, what was I thinking? Like, you know, God's in love, but he doesn't do stupid stuff in his love. When he's in love, he does what pleases him because he's perfectly pleased. So all his actions flow out of his perfect content pleasure. In love, he predestined us. Now, let me stop right there, okay? Because some of you, oh, predestination, what does that mean? You're a Calvinist, oh, you know? Let, whatever you may believe about predestination, don't let that get in the way of what we're about to read, okay? Now, predestination is awesome. That's another sermon, too. But he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Again, if you don't know what that means, find somebody that had their hand up. In accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Did you hear that? That God has decided that from his perfect place of pleasure, his will flows. And what is his will? That he loves us. And that he loves us so much that he adopted us as sons and daughters into his family through the work of Jesus Christ. And God is saying that he wants us so to grasp that concept that in his perfect holiness, in his limitlessness, in the grandeur of who he is as God, he expresses all of that in love to you. Now, we got to soak in that. I don't know about you, but, you know, do you ever go to the water park and, and you walk past all the people that are in the lazy river? You know, that's the, that, that's the river that goes around the whole park and you're in a big, you know, inner tube and it's just people there getting sunburned, you know? Well, okay, let's lazy river it for a second, all right? Let's just soak in that reality that the God of the universe is saying, I'm limitless, and my greatest pleasure is to pour love onto you. And I did it through the work of Christ on the cross. Well, what does that look like? Well, okay, we're going to a lot of passages, but go back and read them. Ezekiel chapter 36. He declares something. That in his pleasure, he leaves nothing up to you. He leaves nothing up to you. He does it all. In Ezekiel 36 and 25 through 27, it says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. God is going to forgive us of everything. He's going to wash us clean of all our addictions and our idols. And then he says, I will give you a new heart. So he's going to give us a new heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
Then I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you hear that? God says, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And then I'm going to cause you to walk in all my ways. That's what his love looks like. That's what his love is accomplishing. That's what his love is doing. Has love passed you by? In fact, love has sought you out. Love has hijacked us. It has bushwhacked us. It has stepped into our lives when we didn't invite it. And it brought an explosion of that love into my life. So the first thing I know about, do I please the Lord? Do I feel his pleasure for me? In other words, do I revel in the pleasure of the one who takes pleasure in me? John Piper said, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. It's a crazy thing that uh, I've said this before, but we used to go to my grandparents every summer. Uh, They used to grow this huge garden and my dad was, my grandfather was a big outdoorsman and was a game warden. And so his freezer was full of fish and, you know, deer and birds and all that kind of good stuff. And so my grandmother loved cooking up these huge feasts. And so there'd be about 30 of us scattered. We have the kids' table and the adults' table. And you know what that's like. And then you graduate to the adults' table and you realize it really wasn't worth graduating up to that because it's boring, you know. And you sit around talking about, yeah, taxes, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, but my grandmother was the, uh, she loved to cook and she loved to serve and she didn't like anybody being in her kitchen. Get out of my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen. Dinner will be ready in just a few minutes, you know? And then she would run around to everybody, even the kids' table. Biscuit, biscuit, want more biscuits, you know? Oh, you need to eat some more of these tomatoes. They're great. They're right out of the garden, you know? And all this stuff. And she would never eat. But we found so much joy in our food. And when we ate and ate and ate and ate, She ate and ate and ate, but what she was eating up was our joy. That we that we were living in, eating, feasting, and enjoying the gifts that she put on the table for us. And that was glory to her. You see how the Lord is saying the first thing we need to know do you please the Lord? Do you understand his pleasure in you? And do you drink that up? Do you soak in the lazy river of his love for you? Do you let that define you? Do you feast on it? Do you let it be something that marks you forever? So that when you live in that, that pleasure of being in his pleasure gives him pleasure. That makes sense? Okay. The second thing, how do we please the Lord? We know that we are his pleasure. But also, we let the Lord work through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 34, it says, be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. What is he talking about that? He's saying that when we taste love, it's only natural for us to demand more of love. Right? I mean, we want more. When it's good, we want more. But what's a funny thing about the way God made us and the way he made love is that when love tastes us, it demands all of us. You know, in Ezekiel 36, he said he put his spirit in us. Paul puts it a different way. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're in Christ, then Christ is in you. 
This is a reality. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I was with a bunch of guys this week, and we were talking about this passage. And one of them said, so I asked them, I said, so when you sin, like when you blow it big time, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Where does Jesus go? And one of the guys says, that's when Jesus takes a smoke break, you know? Over there with the angels. Yeah, what are you doing up here? I thought you were in Randy. Nah, man, Randy's really ticked off in traffic right now, so I just need to take a break. Give him room. You know, it's strange to even think about Jesus smoking, isn't it? (laughs) But it's, it's more strange, isn't it, to think that when I sin, Christ is in me as real in that moment as he is when I'm sharing the gospel with the person that's going to come up to you after this service and say, hey, I saw your hand up. Tell me. Right? Jesus doesn't say, Christ in you, the hope of glory, when you're worthy of it. Well, Christ made us worthy at the cross. So he's in me all the time. And it pleases him, Hebrews chapter 13, to work through us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Love's not passed us by. It's not only here saying, find your greatest pleasure and my pleasure for you, but it's also saying, experience the pleasure of your Father to work through you. We get to enjoy it. So let me try to bring this back to being single and to the attachments and to the addictions and the idols that we tend to let come into our lives and to steal our desires in our own hearts. If what we've just said is true, if what we've just said is a reality for us that are in Christ, then let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, And listen to what Paul says. Paul is wrestling with the Lord. Because Paul has got a thorn in his side. Now some people believe it's one thing. Some people believe it's another thing. Here's what I want you to hear about this. Paul pleaded with God for something he wanted. He said, God, this is what I want from you. This is what I want to have happen This is what I'm expecting you to express your pleasure in this way. Take this thorn out of my side. It may be a besetting sin. It may be a physical ailment. It may be your own sense of discouragement. It may be depression. It may be whatever it is. Paul is saying whatever it was for him. Lord, I am pleading with you. Please take this out of me and put me in this situation. Make what I want become a reality. This is the Apostle Paul who healed people and rose people from the dead. Here's what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you. Verse 9. Stay where you are, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul's response to God's words. Okay, sure, your power is made great in weakness. I'm going to take it to the next level. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. How do I please the Lord? I not only revel in the fact that I am pleasing to the Lord and the work that he's doing through me is by his own pleasure, but I boast gladly 
in my weaknesses. I cannot tell you how strange that is to even say it to you. Because I have spent my whole life trying to overcome my weaknesses. Matter of fact, I have dedicated countless hours to overcoming all kinds of weaknesses because I despise my weaknesses. What do you despise? I understand that being single at times can be incredibly hard. I would not want to be back into the dating world. You could not pay me for that because I would be so good at it. It would just be just painful. <laughs> Only a married guy could say that, right? Only somebody who would never have to actually do it can say stuff like that. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. You, we can be honest that at times it's incredibly lonely, and I know. And at times it's full of a lot of dark nights of the soul where fear can, can kind of sneak in and begin to steal away from our hearts all the things that we've said this morning, that God is for me, that God intentionally put his pleasure in my direction. And not only has he put his pleasure in my direction, but he's also, it pleases him to work through me, that I'm not forgotten, that he's not left me behind, that I'm not a throwaway, that I'm not unlovable. In fact, I have experienced and tasted the greatest love in the world, but still, it's hard. Still, it can be lonely. Still, it can be confusing. Still, it can be loaded with a thousand different questions and even a thousand different failures. And in the middle of that, the Lord is saying, boast. And when you boast, do it gladly. Why? Well, the truth of it is everybody in this room is addicted to something. Right? We're all addicted to something. But if you're addicted, it means that you're in need of grace. And here's where the story gets great. Because where I boast in my weaknesses, I am declaring that I need grace. And that's where I need to be loved. And that's where I need God's goodness and his beauty to come crashing into my world. When I boast and I'm glad, it takes my eyes to a different place to where the Lord meets me in my deepest desires. And when he meets me there and heals me there, I feel his pleasure. See, love's not passed you by. It's God's pleasure to pour out his love on you. Do you know that? What addictions stand in the way of you believing that? Would you boast in that? If you have a hard time believing that God loves you, will you boast gladly that you are weak in that part of your life and say to God, I don't believe you. I boast in that. Now make your power perfect in me. It is God's pleasure to work through you. Really? Do you have a hard time believing that? That God is working through you? That the Spirit of God is living within you? Will you boast in that? Where are you weak? Do you find yourself falling into sin again and again and again? Boast in that. Be glad in that. Experience his power. Are you weak physically? Are you weak mentally? Are you weak financially? Where are you weak? Would you dare to boast and know God's power is made perfect in our weakness? So how do we please the Lord? 
is to know that he's already pleased. And in his good pleasure, he moves in our direction. Do we see that? And then the joy of letting him work through us by our boasting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the gospel's true, that we are those that have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, and now we've been brought into a new kingdom of light. It's not just that, Lord, we have been given a new life. We've been given a new way to understand life. Lord, let us lean into that. Let us be bold, Lord, in our boasting of our need for you. Let us be those that, Lord, deeply need your grace and declare it even in our weaknesses. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.